Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with Darius and Justin, your backstage pass to the eight and nine figure e-commerce world. Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with me today. Today, we'll be interviewing John Hagan, a director of performance marketing in Pirelli, a 2020 fastest growing e-commerce brand in Germany. And we'll be talking about Pirelli's marketing strategy and how it changed at different levels of growth, diving deep into influencer marketing strategies they utilize and how we are combining it with Facebook ads and email marketing to extract every last drop of value from it. So, hey, John, super happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm great, Darius. Thank you so much for having me on, man. Could you maybe introduce a little bit more yourself? Story Pirelli, when did you get into this journey with them? Yeah, of course. So I got my start in digital marketing in early 2017. I was at a university and I was actually had two jobs. One was the maintenance man at a golf course. And the other was getting into influencer marketing, actually. So I learned about halfway through this year that I actually was going... I went to high school with the guy who made the fidget spinner go viral. And I heard that and I was sort of in shock and I was thinking, man, I wonder how he did that. So I reached out to him and I basically bugged him to work with me, right? So I talked him into working with me, got him to teach me everything that he knew, and we sort of went into business together. This ended up turning into a performance marketing agency and we took things, we sort of had just too much going on and we were sort of scattered throughout basically Los Angeles and St. Louis. And so we took things to LA. Flash forward about six months into starting the agency, we were spending seven figures profitably a month on Facebook with brands such as Posh Peanut, Snow Teeth Lightning, Detox Organics, some others that you might have heard of that are pretty popular in the e-com space. And so I kind of had this inkling suspicion that was, this is great. We're scaling a bunch of brands profitably. I can't believe that this is working out. But what would happen if I took the principles that I've learned from scaling 10 different brands and put all the time, energy, and effort into one. And at the same time, I met and was introduced to one of the co-founders at Pure Lighting named Etienne. And he was coming to LA to help find a 3PL for Pure Light to get into the United States. And actually, as a coincidence, he was staying about four blocks away from my apartment at the time. So we met, had a dinner... And we actually rode Harleys through Malibu, hit it off and became friends first and then sort of learned that we had this interest in starting getting into business with one another as well. So I was brought internal as the director of growth at Pure Lay in 2018. They were a fairly large brand, but I was employee 25. Now, when I moved away from internal brand side, they have over 170 employees, still scaling very profitably. Their goal is to double as a business every year. So very aggressive growth goals, which require the right people in place to make those happen. So that's a little bit about how I got into marketing and how a dude living in Denver gets into a German business. Yeah. And I see, you know, that like high school friend, I guess, was Nick, Nick Shackleforth. Actually not. Essentially, the way that I understand that it worked with the fidget spinner was my high school friend's name is Jake Schmidt. He sort of founded the idea of the fidget spinner off of Etsy. And then Nick knew the tools with Facebook marketing uh, mm. to make it go viral, right? So together, they turned Fidgetly into the sort of global sensation that it turned into. And then I was brought on board shortly after. <laughs> and then Chinese hit, you know, and everybody started to drop ship the same product. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, you know, that's one of the things that people are always like, oh my gosh, I bet that guy made like millions of dollars, right? But you look at it and <laughs> you understand it's a ball bearing in swivels, right? So 
everybody and their brother started selling fidget spinners. If there was some way to copyright that product, you know, a lot more profitable than it ended up being. But a ball bearing in swivels is a very easy thing to replicate. And as you saw, everybody and their brother started selling fidget spinners. So yeah. Yeah, this is, I guess, what happens with, well, basically, personally seen a lot of brands, you know, just being plain bluntly copied by Chinese. We create amazing product, it sticks, it starts, you know, to spend some decent amount, and we're just copycats kick in. And here we are going a little bit more towards Pirelli side, because I know Pirelli is in jewelry niche, and it's super tough niche to be in. And how were you able to grow so fast? Because I also expect, you know, you had similar problems with copycats and, you know, it's nothing you know unique about jewelry as it is. No, you hit the nail on the head. It's one of the things that we reflect on with Pirelli is that you know, you're selling gold-plated costume jewelry imported from China. Right now, it's a high quality because we've been able to scale up to such high revenue levels. We have very great connections and excellent manufacturers. But at the end of the day, it's a product that is very commonplace in the market. And also going back to your comment about copycats, right? It begs the importance of branding. That's the whole reason that Pure Light has turned into such a you know global sensation that it has is because they have put their time, energy, and effort into innovative marketing strategies. When you have sort of a white-labeled solution or you have a product that's common in the marketplace, you have to turn to... You don't have the most innovative product. You have to have the most innovative marketing strategies. And that's what's made Pure Light. The branding, the influencer work, the public relations focus, those things have made Pure Light such a success today. Okay. And let's talk a little bit more about these innovative strategies. Could you maybe present a few of them? Yeah. So one of the things that we focused on the most heading into 2019, especially, and late in 2018 as well, was we took a step back. Actually, it was a Gymshark exercise that I remember. It was late one night in Germany. We were sitting there and we were looking at the competition and we were looking at our product and we were looking at essentially pondering the idea of why do people buy Pirelay, right? And this exact concept of it's a gold-plated imported costume jewelry. China, why are people, why is it doing so well? And we came to sort of an anecdotal, but also an understanding that the reason that people bought Pirelay was because it's influencers, right? It's an influencer lifestyle brand. And then once we understood that influencers were sort of the nucleus of the brand, the question became, how do we maximize influencer efforts? we sort of came up with a couple of different ways. One of those is paid social. One of those is influencer marketing events. You're really diving into and focusing on profitable organic influencer paper posts. And then additionally, and lastly, sort of in that list was influencer collection launches. So we took this principle that a lot of people, in my opinion, sort of half-ass with influencer marketing, where you'll hear a lot of people say, oh, influencer marketing, that doesn't work for us, right? And you're looking at the landscape of influencer marketing today, where you used to have Shaquille O'Neal was selling Subway, right? He was on Subway commercials. Yeah. And now you have LeBron James owns Blaze Pizza, right? You look at the transition that influencer marketing has gone through, and you look at these little companies that are discarding the idea of influencer marketing entirely. And you're like, you think that it doesn't work? Like, are you not <laughs> looking at the way that these highly cosmetic yeah. are becoming billionaires, right? So... Yeah, we just dove in head on and figured out how to maximize influencer relations. It's like kind of interesting, you know, that you mentioned just figuring out one channel and just doubling down on it and doubling down on it till you kind of reach the maximum out of it. This is really similar to what I always advise our own clients to do. Hey, you have an amazing channel, let's double down on it first. Find somebody who's maybe even better than you 
invest more time into it because reality is it's quite likely, you know, this is visas grow for you. I think there's two really valuable things that you just said. One is find someone who knows the channel better than you do. That's one of the things that I do and have done ever since the beginning of my career. Well, actually, it came from a college professor. Maybe one of the only valuable things that came from college was my college professor said to me, I said, I was expressing frustration about not finding an internship in the field that I wanted. Right. And she said, do this, go find someone who has already experienced the career that you're looking to experience and just reach out to them on LinkedIn and just say, Hey, I admire you. I'm a college kid. How do I get to where you're at? And it's flattering, right? It's a message that they welcome with open arms. It's not something to where you're any type of competition. You're not just another cold message on LinkedIn. And that principle has transitioned into getting meetings with people that I would have never imagined getting meetings with, right? Authors of books that I've been reading, I'll message them on LinkedIn and I'll get a meeting with them. I had a meeting with the director of global media at Adidas a while ago because I'm just reaching out to people. And so that's one. But two is doubling down on channels that you find profit in. I think that one of the things that you know, shiny object syndrome really shines through, especially in the landscape of marketing in 2021. Like you have, uh, you have these brands that are slowly bleeding out because they're trying to get into Pinterest marketing and they're trying to get into TikTok and that they say, Snapchat, yeah. Exactly, exactly. But in reality, where are you finding the most growth? Is it Facebook? Okay, Facebook can turn you into a billion dollar brand. So just double easily. down. Exactly, easily, right? Influencers can turn you into a billion dollar brand. I think that shiny object syndrome shines through and you think that you're diversifying your allocation of marketing budget, but in reality, you're just failing to focus in and double down on one channel particularly. Yeah, exactly. And tell me how BB Pirelli changes growth strategy in marketing, let's say, you know, at three different phases. Maybe before we became a seven figures, when we were growing between seven to eight figures and now maybe on what you're planning into the future. So it's a great question. I can speak the most to the middle growth phase because to be honest with you, I actually wasn't a part of the company when we were under a seven-figure brand. When I came into the company, we were a seven-figure brand. I think that one of the ways that they got to that point, one of the things that they focus on so well and that I see a gap in what, where other brands focus is finding the right people to harness the proper technology to foster their company. So what I mean by that is they were a low eight-figure brand and already had 25 employees. Like that's a pretty yeah. heavy stack of employees, right? But I see other brands that are doing eight-figure, you know, mid-eight-figures and, and they have three freelancers and two co-founders that do all of the work. And I look at the trajectory that both of those brands take and the, the brands that are growing the quickest are the ones that are hiring and putting all of their time, energy, and effort into putting the right people in front of the brand. So when I came in, we were doing, I guess when I came in, we were doing low or high seven figures. So when I came in, I think that the things that we chose to focus on were doubling down on channels. You know, they were solely putting our focus on where we've seen the most growth. And that's the reason that we were able to, we didn't have that scope creep, right? We were able to take off as a brand, including influencers, paid social, and email, right? We use paid social to acquire customers. Instagram organic to build our community and email to grow our margins. And that's how we grow as a company. Yeah, it's very interesting what you mentioned about just hiring more people and hiring more talent inside the business because this is what's driving innovation and growth. And personally, I'm experiencing the same thing with an agency right now. 
I mentioned to you before that right now, it doesn't take me much time for agency to deliver its services, right? As like head of performance, I'm not investing a lot of time here because our seniors and people are able to come up with new innovative methods to test them, experiment with them, you know, and drive pretty crazy results for our clients. But it only came because we were investing quite heavily into our own people, training them up and hiring the right people. And even then, it took us, what, almost two years to get to this point where everything is starting to work, you know, without our effort in there. I'm always curious about this question. For whatever size company you have, when was your first hire and what was the role that you hired for first? Yeah, so it's actually quite interesting because initially me and Justin were just kind of freelancing for a certain time. We opened a business, I think, not fully two years ago. And I think we hired like the first person like somewhat in two months after opening official business. But it wasn't like very successful hire. We literally, you know, had a crash down there. <laughs> and after two months, we did like another two hires. And now these two hires also left our agency, you know, after I think five or six months working with us. So it's kind of like this journey where you kind of like are discovering the people that are your agency fit, right? And now I'm pretty actually happy with our hiring process where we were able to identify people that, first of all, you know, fit our team culture pretty well and were able to grow things efficiently. Nice. It's the difference between being completely swamped, drowning, piling bricks on top of your head while you're drowning yeah. as an agency <laughs> versus having a very manageable workload that you feel comfortable with. There's nothing better than when someone comes to you and they're like, hey, what did you guys do here? And you're like, no, 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 I know my guys, right? There, I, I know my team. They wouldn't have done. And then you get back to, you find the root of the problem and you're right, right? It wasn't your mistake that led to the error in whatever it might've been. And having that confidence in your team, it's invaluable. Yeah, plus honestly, speed of growth. You know, like why Pirelli was able to grow so fast? Because these people, they do multiply. You get three, four of them. Then, you know, you get another two. These people help to train another two, indoctrinate them into the team culture. The start is slowest, but afterwards you just reach this kind of like multiplication effect and they're just able to skyrocket. Yeah, and the types of marketing strategy that you're able to execute on become much more impactful and difficult to execute on. One of the things that, from a paid social perspective, has brought PureLay to the growth levels that it has is dark posting. And leveraging the strategy, not only dipping our toes in the water, but once we dipped the toes in the water and figured out that there was something here, leveraging this strategy became an obsession of ours and became the sole focus of ours, where we put substantial company resources at play and at work in order to create the growth that we needed to in order to achieve our goals. And the thing that really, where I realized that that team really set us apart was once I found success there, I took the strategy and what do you do as a marketer? You talk about it, right? So I took the strategy and I brought it to my friends and I said, hey guys, you guys are working with e-com companies. You have to try this, right? three, four, or five weeks later, I would come back to them and they would say, dude, this isn't working. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This isn't working. This is like the number one thing that we're focusing on with our paid social strategy. And then it comes back to, we don't have a team in place to be able to execute on that kind of strategy at a high level. And that's the difference maker for executing a really difficult marketing strategy for sure. Yeah, definitely. Could we maybe talk about that strategy? It's just interesting how you were utilizing influencers with dark posts, etc. I do know the strategy. Most likely we have used it, right? But maybe you have like some different take about it. Yeah. So this is really, you know, going into where I'm at today in my career with my own agency, this is a primary service that we sell. This is sort of our flagship product, if you will. 
So dark posting, just to get into like the very simple stage of dark posting, dark posting is leveraging sort of the marriage of paid social advertising and influencer marketing, right? So you have an influencer who's giving your brand access to their likeness, their content, and their audiences, most importantly, to utilize those elements of their personal brand for your e-commerce business or for your lead generation tool, whatever you're selling on, on paid social. So what this strategy started out as and how it should start out, I think this is one of the reasons that it can be a difficult strategy to execute. But where we started with this was leveraging, for example, the likeness of our founders to use dark posts, the likeness of micro-influencers to use dark posts, and then eventually moving into macro-influencers, right? The girl who won The Voice on German models, those kind of things like macro, large-scale, global influencers, and then also into brands, dark posts, and those kind of things. So effectively, the things that we like about dark posting and, and the big unique selling points of this strategy are the likeness, like I said, of the influencer. So you have someone who's leveraged their personal brand over the course of years to generate trust in their consumers is now representing your brand. And then the audiences is really the biggest advantage to me. So if you're not dark posting, you are stuck within the confines of the data that you have paid your hard-earned energy effort and cash to acquire, right? My brand delivers an ad to a consumer and they see the ad and they like the ad, therefore they go to my website. And now what we're leveraging is not only one, right? Not only two, but a giant army of influencers, likeness, audiences, content, et cetera, for your brand. And it adds just this entire element of data into your paid social strategy that has scaled brands quicker than I've ever seen before to revenues levels that I haven't seen before as well. So it's a very effective strategy if done well, but if it sucks, <laughs> it can really burn cash. So it's, it's a very <laughs> complicated strategy to pull off, yeah. which requires a big team. I guess a lot of people kind of underestimate if they just think, you know, hey, let me get like five or 10 influencers, get access to their accounts and run some ads from it, right? You know, with very image and photo, et cetera. And in a way, it does work if you execute it correctly. So the simplest way, at least from our side, what we found is just running like remarketing funnel where you set up, let's say, like 30-day website visitors audience. And you suddenly have, you know, like somebody visited your website and then you target them from like 30 different influencer accounts. If your reviews of a product or something, and suddenly it seems like you are everywhere. So on the remarketing side, it works really well. And on call side, what we notice it helps with scale a lot. It's not so much that it adds up to like amazing cross or something, but scalability is insane, especially in like small countries like Germany, etc. Yeah, there's a lot of really important things to do to get your toes in the water with the strategy before you just go for the Kardashians, right? Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that you need to do to get your toes in to prove the validity of the strategy for your brand. But like you're talking about, right? What we'll start with is a paper post and we'll see if that organic post performs. If that organic post performs, We'll go deliver a dark post to maybe, like you're saying, website visitors or their engaging audiences. And we'll see if that performs. If that performs, then we turn to cold traffic. And then it's time to put the budget behind the asset. And we see if we have something that's not only higher return on ad spend than the rest of our ad account, but also more scalable and opening up a whole demographic of cold traffic that we haven't before. What type of influencers do you have noticed to work the best, actually? Is there like any specific things that you're looking into, like good influencer? 100%. Yeah. So content is still king, right? So the biggest question that we ask is, can this influencer sell? If this influencer can sell, then that's check number one. And then the number two is the personal brand that they've built valuable. 
right? So all influencers are not created equal, right? And I think that this is one of the reasons that influencer marketing leaves a bad taste in the mouth of a lot of brands because you have one influencer who has a million followers and she can't sell anything. And you have one influencer who has 100,000 followers and she'll sell $20,000 worth of product for you. So I think that really getting what we look for is really getting comfortable with those influencers before we go full into mm-hmm. organic paper Just testing posts. Just the watchers first. Exactly. Organic paper posts is step one. Then we go dark posts is step two. Then we go into, should we invite this influencer to an event? Should we have a collection launch with this influencer? How can we leverage this influencer's likeness, content, creatives, data, et cetera, for our brand most effectively, but also dip your toes in water first so that you don't burn cash. And how do you manage it? Because I know you're dealing with a lot of influencers at the same time, same things. So is there like some sort of management process in there or like dedicated people that are working with certain like sector of influencers? So with Purelay particularly, I think one of the reasons that it works so well for Purelay is that they have a large influencer team, right? So it goes back to people. When I would bring this to my friends and talk about it and then come back to me and tell me it didn't work, they'd say, how many people do you have working on this strategy? And I'd say, yeah, we have, we have a team of 15 influencer managers and the jaw drops. And it's like, okay, we have two, right? And so if you have two people in place, that's not going to happen. You know, there are tools in place to help simplify influencer relations and influencer work. One of those is Lumanu. That's where we have a great relationship with also the founders of Lumanu, but you know, the tool in general, and it simplifies and streamlines this process. Grin is another one that we use pretty heavily. But when it comes down to it, influencer work is a lot of grunt work. It's a lot of long yeah. hours and tenacity and just you have to have the right team in place again. Yeah, why I'm asking is because my girlfriend is actually working with influencers. So I know firsthand, you know, how much time she's actually spending to get certain answers yeah. back. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, it's hard to communicate. So it's it's very like labor-intensive process. And, you know, to execute it correctly takes time. And what type of results well, do you personally noticed with this dark post strategy? Is it good for call ads or does it help scalability similar to how we have noticed? Right. So just... Taking a step back real quick on the people conversation, that's one of the things that has made the agency so successful so far is that not only do most internal teams not have, our internal companies not have that amount of influencer managers, but they don't have the desire to bring on a team of 15 influencer managers and and paid social experts. And so what we do with the agency is we come in and we plug and play very seamlessly with their existing, maybe they have a media buyer already. Maybe they have some influencer managers already. But we come in and integrate seamlessly with that team, which creates a really cool ecosystem of collaboration within the brand, right? Because as opposed to the typical paid social agency pitch, we're not coming in here and we're saying, fire your paid agency, fire your influencer marketing team, right? Let us come in and run things. We're coming in and we're saying, let us work alongside of your team and we'll all grow together. So that's one of the big selling points of the services and agency. But talking about the scale and the results that we're seeing, With this strategy leading the forefront of a brand that we started working with, and that was kind of one of the questions, right? So I was internal for a long time. Is this strategy plug and play? Why is it only working for Pure right? Is it something that can work across other brands? I did some consulting for a Norwegian sportswear company. I just talked them through this strategy. I didn't execute for them, but I just consulted them and set up the tools and the know-how to dip their toes in the water. They did a collection launch with influencers that was a dark post that was centered around dark posting rather. And they immediately had the largest day of revenue in the company's history on the first time. 
So then I said, holy shit, there's something here, right? This is plug and play. We can take this strategy. I can take this strategy and I can sell it in an agency capacity. And we did that. So April of last year, we started working with a brand that was doing about $60,000 of revenue monthly. And they had a great return, but they came to us and they said, we want to scale this to high levels of revenue. We teamed up with an influencer agency in New York, who we now have a preferred partnership with. And we took this brand from doing $60,000 of revenue in April to ending the year just shy of $10 million. So we went from almost zero to eight figures in six months. So the yeah, strategy that's solid. Yes, it is very effective. <laughs> that's certainly solid. You know, like Facebook ads are fast, but it also worked pretty well, you know, with this type of approach. And I bet you are just combining you know, Facebook ads with influencers, right? So you are still running some organic Facebook ads on the side, right? Yeah, exactly. It's one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot lately is I think in 2021, it's more important now than ever to build the brand outside of Facebook. And then you put your hard-earned cash to work with high CPMs, difficult competition, etc. on platform. And the results are so much better than if you just have the brand idea of, let's get some Facebook ads, right? Like that's a lot of, a lot of brands consider that a marketing campaign. I don't see the value in that. <laughs> so at least from my perspective, like Facebook is more of acquisition method, especially if you want to be scaling hard, fast, etc. But you need all this retention, branding, community creation in the background, whatever that's influences, whatever that's running some sort of community platform, running YouTube channel or something, you know, you need an efficient way to retain these customers. Because, mm-hmm. hey, with Facebook ads, we can acquire a lot of customers cheap and, well, not cheap, you know, on break even most likely, but a lot of customers fast. And we personally scaled like a brand from last year making 0.5 million to with less than one year, we scaled them to 26 million in just one year. Wow. And, so what was the same question? Yeah. What was the primary takeaway? <laughs> Run Facebook ads aggressively. We literally <laughs> went down to 2% net profit monthly for a certain amount of period till we were able to optimize and get certain things in place. And then, you know, it jumped back up to 15%. That's so amazing. it's more about, you know, just not being afraid, pushing it up, right? And, you know, then allowing certain time to pass till you kind of perfect and iron out everything and just putting it in the place. Aggression is one that's a very subjective topic, right? There were times in that scale with that brand where I was looking at my partner and thinking about the founders of the brand. And I was thinking, man, they have some stones. Like these guys are yeah. just, nothing shakes them, right? In order to make something amazing like that happen, you have to have the mindset to be able to risk it. Yeah. Right? Also, straightforward, you have to have balls for it. You have to have the balls, exactly. <laughs> it yeah. takes risks. No, yeah. And you can't, you know, like be afraid of growth. Because this is what I'm seeing. Like some of our clients, Hoss, they could be climbing up 10 times faster. Of course, everybody has its own, you know, life, right? And everybody has its own circumstances. Somebody maybe is trying to secure life for himself and his family. It's mm-hmm. a completely different page versus somebody who can go like completely aggressively and either like shoot from a moon or the sun and then land within the stars. It goes back to the conversation that we were having before we started recording, right? There are no stressful situations. There's only a stressful reaction to a situation. Yeah. You have those people and they're put in the exact same situation as other people are put into the same situation and you just watch how they react and it's always extremely interesting, but always very different. Yeah, this is why we know I'm all about self-improvement and you know, just kind of because I believe like business is a reflection of yourself, right? Basically, whom you are as a person, what you believe, what are your values, etc. This is your business. Mm-hmm. So the easiest way to impact your business is improve on yourself. But at the same time, it's kind of like what came through the last year for me and my business partner, Justin, that 
you shouldn't be learning for the sake of learning. Do you know how some people just take books and just read through it? But reality, how much do you remember out of like last 10 books? Really? Mm-hmm. 2%, 3%? If you take like Hans, look at it. So I'm actually like this year changing the way I'm learning and improving into more like directional approach where I'm setting certain objectives for a quarter and spending, you know, each week calculate the time, you know, where I'm working towards that. Hey, is it like improving team culture within agency? Then I'm reading and consuming books about that and actually implementing them, experimenting with them, basically doing practical work and playing with it. There's, this is an area that it seems like I would love to pick your brain about. Somebody came to me in December and said, how do you cope with stress in entrepreneurship, right? You're starting your own company. How do you cope with the stress of it? And I said, dude, you're asking the wrong person <laughs> because not very well is the answer to that, right? So it seems like you've built something really great with AdKings and with the agency. How do you cope with that stress that's brought on to your situation, right? How do you as an entrepreneur stay level-headed when there's risk involved? Yeah, I think it's kind of comes through the time, right? So when we were just starting to do it, honestly, I had like some cases where my heart was beating, you know, so bad I would have to lay down in my bed for like three, four hours just tearing into the ceiling to like calm down or something just because I would get driven to this point. I'm just kind of reaching this point where, you know, hey, I've seen this. It happened. Even right now, like COVID, basically COVID happened, right? I was kind of calm for it, right? I predicted that, hey, the blood will be everywhere, right? That's perfect time, you know, to be aggressive. It's perfect time to look for opportunities where everybody's scared. And all of our clients, you know, majority of our clients grew crazily during this time. Same thing, you know, next year, uh, well, this year, actually, iOS 14 update, right? Everybody's scared of it. I'm just thinking, hey, yeah, everybody's scared of it. Let's see what happens, right? Of course, educated about it, but don't panic. Just wait, see what happens. It's just another bump in the road. We survived, you know, many other problems. You're totally right, right? And then going back to the way that people that you have on board, as the leader of that organization, it's so important to carry that mentality because if you freak out, they're going to freak out. But if you stay calm, they're going to stay calm, right? But then additionally, one of my favorite quotes that I've heard about iOS 14 so far is, as marketers, we're called to be surgeons, not doctors, right? So we can sit here and we can try and diagnose what's going to happen. We can sit here, we can talk to our clients, and we can be bullshit gurus if we want to. We can say, yeah, "Ah, iOS 14, I know what's going to happen, right? We're fine. We're going to be totally fine. Everything, we're doing A, B, C, D, and it's not going to affect us. Or we can say, you know what, man? I don't know what's going to happen. To be honest with you, I have done all of the research that I can. But at the end of the day, I don't know what the impact of iOS 14 is going to be on our e-com businesses. But I know one thing. We're going to figure it out. We're going to be surgeons. We're going to sit here and we're going to look at the problem. We're going to assess the damage. We're going to assess the pivot that we need to make. And then we're going to be greedy when others are fearful, like you're saying with COVID-14. Yeah. And you know, the most amazing thing that... Yeah. (laughs) The most amazing thing in general (laughs) is that, hey, I'm not alone, right? I have my team behind me. So if somebody is just trying to figure it out alone, it will take them ages. We have multiple businesses that we're working off. We have multiple brains in the Vin agency that can come off with solutions where and just react very quickly and everybody could be testing different solutions to it till we mm-hmm. figure out, hey, how do we go about it? So this is why, you know, I'm kind of like not even panicking about it and just kind of becoming a bit more stale, <laughs> just kind of more linear, so to say, no like high ups, no high lows, etc. And I guess, you know, it's kind of like same question back to you. I usually like to ask this question, you know, at the end of a podcast as a final question. So what is the secret to keeping sanity for you actually, you know, when growing business, Pirelli and your own agency? 
regimenting my life. So there's a quote in the gym that I go to and it says, your body only understands consistency. That's the only thing that your world understands is consistency, right? So the number one secret that I'm learning and that I've learned to remain sane while working in e-com is it's 7 p.m. I'm turning my laptop off and I'm going to sit here with my fiance. You know, at 7 p.m., I'm going to go to the gym, right? Like, of course, I have a laundry list of things that I need to take care of that are important right now, but they're still going to be important tomorrow morning when I come back to work, right? Regimenting my life and forcing myself to take my phone and turn it on airplane mode, sit back and be present with whatever situation I am in, as present as I am while in work, outside of work. And this is kind of interesting because a lot of people kind of think that all the world will break down if you do not answer to like an email in two or three hours. Reality, you can turn it off for like seven days sometimes. Yes. And yeah. just see how your business is kind of like continuing to operate the way it was. Because often, you know, if people can't get to you and ask a question, we just figure it out. Right. That comes back to having the right people in place. If you have the right people in place on your team and somebody sends out an email, and you take seven days away from work, you come like a normal person does, right? You come back to work and that email is taken care of and the response is acceptable. And the task that that client was asking to be executed upon is carried out in a high quality. Like if you have the right people in place, David is, I know is a friend of both of ours. He always shocks me about how he is able to take a step away from his business and work on himself, right? Sometimes I'll get a text from him that'll say he's going into the mountains for a week and a half. And I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. But there's no way that I could do that. And then I said, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's killing it, right? And he's able to also take that step away from from the laptop and into his whatever he needs to tend to. Yeah, I'm personally feeling it's the most productive time whenever I'm disconnecting from things. Right now, like even Fridays, right? First half of a Friday up to 12 p.m. What I'm doing is literally, you know, just disconnecting from the internet and just using it for learning, rethinking things, etc. It's crazy to think that, you know, majority of my Friday is just spent on doing literally, so to say, in a lot of people thoughts, nothing. But reality is it's bringing the biggest innovations within business, like these exactly four or five hours in the morning. Yeah, there's a guy, I think this was a TED talk that I was listening to, where he talks about um, slow motion multitasking. And essentially, it's the idea of one of the things that we have such an awesome ability to do as we run agencies is bounce across different projects. And it's the same thing, right? Inspiration comes in all different shapes and sizes. And sometimes, for me, I live in the mountains, right? Sometimes inspiration comes to me. I have this crazy thought while I'm skiing, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's a great solution yeah. to this problem that I've been dealing with for a long time. And I had to go skiing to come up with this solution. I think that allowing yourself to slow motion multitask and get out of, maybe it's get out of Facebook ads and get an email. Maybe it's get out of email and get into creative, you know, whatever it might be taking a step away from a project can create a massive outcome for that specific project as counterintuitive as that sounds. Exactly. So John, maybe you can tell the audience where we can find more about you. Yeah. So to find more about me, the agency website is a great place to start. It's voltagency.co. And then of course, LinkedIn, John Hagen, Instagram, John Andrew Hagen, Facebook, just my name again. Please don't hesitate to reach out. Let's connect, collaborate, et cetera. Cool. So what, John, thanks for participating today. And thank you for my audience for listening to this. Thank you very much, Darius. Enjoying this podcast? Consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. This helps us to grow and create more amazing content like this for you.